Chapters four and five of Recollections of Napoleon at St. Helena by Elizabeth Balcom Abel. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Four. The spicy myrtle with unwithering leaf shines there and flourishes, the golden boast of Portugal and western India. There the ruddier orange and the paler lime peep through their polished foliage. Cooper it is not in my power to give a detailed account of the events of each day the emperor spent with us i shall never cease regretting that i did not keep a journal of all that occurred but i was too young and too thoughtless to see the advantage of doing so besides i trusted to a memory naturally most retentive thinking it would enable me at any time to recall the minutest incident concerning napoleon in this i have deceived myself my life has been a chequered and a melancholy one and many of its incidents have been of a nature to absorb the mind and abstract the attention from everything but the consideration of present misery this continued for a length of time has erased things from my recollection which i thought i never could have forgotten but of which i now retain nothing but the consciousness that they took place and the regret that i am unable to record them many of the circumstances i am about to relate however i did write down shortly after they occurred and the others have been kept fresh in my memory by being repeated to friends so that the reader of my little volume may depend on the absolute truth and fidelity of my narrative a consideration indeed to which i have thought it right to sacrifice many others i do not then profess to give a journal of what napoleon daily said and did at the briars but the occurrences related i have inserted as nearly as possible in the order in which they took place the emperor's habits during the time he stayed with us were very simple and regular his usual hour for getting up was eight and he seldom took anything but a cup of coffee until one when he breakfasted or rather lunched he dined at nine and retired about eleven to his own rooms his manner was so unaffectedly kind and amiable that in a few days i felt perfectly at ease in his society and looked upon him more as a companion of my own age than as the mighty warrior of whose name the world grew pale his spirits were very good and he was at times almost boyish in his love of mirth and glee not unmixed sometimes with a tinge of malice shortly after his arrival a little girl miss legg the daughter of a friend came to visit us at the briars the poor child had heard such terrific stories of bonaparte that when i told her he was coming up the lawn she clung to me in an agony of terror forgetting my own former fears i was cruel enough to run out and tell napoleon of the child's fright begging him to come into the house he walked up to her and brushing up his hair with his hand shook his head making horrible faces and giving a sort of savage howl the little girl screamed so violently that mamma was afraid she would go into hysterics and took her out of the room napoleon laughed a good deal at the idea of his being such a bugbear and would hardly believe me when i told him that i had stood in the same dismay of him when i made this confession he tried to frighten me as he had poor little miss legg by brushing up his hair and distorting his features but he looked more grotesque than horrible and i only laughed at him he then as a last resource tried the howl but was equally unsuccessful and seemed i thought a little provoked that he could not frighten me he said the howl was cossack and it certainly was barbarous enough for anything he took a good deal of exercise at this period and was fond of taking exploring walks in the valley and adjacent mountain one evening he strolled out accompanied by general gourgaud my sister and myself into a meadow in which some cows were grazing one of these the moment she saw our party put her head down and i believe her tail up 
and advanced a pas de charge against the emperor he made a skilful and rapid retreat and leaping nimbly over a wall placed his rampart between himself and the enemy but general gourgaud valiantly stood his ground and drawing his sword threw himself between his sovereign and the cow exclaiming this is the second time i have saved the emperor's life napoleon laughed heartily when he heard the general's boast and said he ought to have put himself in the position to repel cavalry i told him the cow appeared tranquillized and stopped the moment he disappeared and he continued to laugh and said she wished to save the english government the expense and trouble of keeping him the emperor during his residence under my father's roof occupied only one room and a marquee the room was one my father had built for a ballroom there was a small lawn in front railed round and in this railing the marquee was pitched connected with the house by a covered way the marquee was divided into two compartments the inner one forming napoleon's bedroom and at one extremity of the external compartment there was a small tent-bed with green silk hangings on which general gourgaud slept it was the bedstead used by the emperor in all his campaigns between the two divisions of the tent was a crown which his devoted servants had carved out of the turf floor and it was so placed that the emperor could not pass through without placing his foot on this emblem of royal dignity napoleon seemed to have no penchant for the pleasures of the table he lived very simply and cared little or nothing about what he ate he dined at nine and at that hour cipriani the maitre d'hôtel made his appearance and with a profound reverence said in a solemn tone le dîner de votre majesté a servi he then retreated backwards followed by napoleon and those of his suite who were to dine with him when he had finished he would abruptly push away his chair from the table and quit the dining-room apparently glad it was over a few days after his arrival he invited my sister and myself to dine with him and began quizzing the english for their fondness for rose bif and plum pudding i accused the french in return of living on frogs and running into the house i brought him a caricature of a long lean frenchman with his mouth open his tongue out and a frog on the tip of it ready to jump down his throat underneath was written a frenchman's dinner he laughed at my impertinence and pinched my ear as he often did when he was amused and sometimes when a little provoked at my espièglerie le petit lacaz as he called count lacaz's son formed one of the party on that day he was then a lad of fourteen and the emperor was fond of quizzing me about him and telling me i should be his wife nothing enraged me so much i could not bear to be considered such a child and particularly at that moment for there was a ball in prospect to which i had great hopes papa would allow me to go and i knew that his objection would be founded on my being too young napoleon seeing my annoyance desired young lacaz to kiss me and he held both my hands whilst the little page saluted me i did all in my power to escape but in vain the moment however that my hands were at liberty i boxed le petit lacaz's ears most thoroughly but i determined to be revenged on napoleon and in descending to the cottage to play whist an opportunity presented itself which i did not allow to escape there was no internal communication between the part occupied by the emperor and the rest of the house and the path leading down was very steep and very narrow there being barely room for one person to pass at a time napoleon walked first lacaz next and then his son and lastly my sister jane i allowed the party to proceed very quietly until i was left about ten yards behind and then i ran with all my force on my sister jane she fell with extended hands on the little page 
he was thrown upon his father and the grand chamberlain to his dismay was pushed against the emperor who although the shock was somewhat diminished by the time it reached him had still some difficulty from the steepness of the path in preserving his footing i was in ecstasies at the confusion i had created and exulted in the revenge i had taken for the kiss but i was soon obliged to change my note of triumph lacaz was thunderstruck at the insult offered to the emperor and became perfectly furious at my uncontrollable laughter he seized me by the shoulders and pushed me violently on the rocky bank it was now my turn to be enraged i burst into tears of passion and turning to napoleon cried out oh sir he has hurt me never mind replied the emperor ne pleure pas i will hold him while you punish him and a good punishing he got i boxed the little man's ears until he begged for mercy but i would show him none and at length napoleon let him go telling him to run and that if he could not run faster than i he deserved to be beaten again he immediately started off as fast as he could and i after him napoleon clapping his hands and laughing immoderately at our race round the lawn lacaz never liked me after this adventure and used to call me a rude hoyden five oh that those lips had language life has passed with me but roughly since i heard thee last those lips are thine thy own sweet smile i see cooper i never met with any one who bore childish liberties so well as napoleon he seemed to enter every sort of mirth or fun with the glee of a child and though i have often tried his patience severely i never knew him to lose his temper or fall back upon his rank or age to shield himself from the consequences of his own familiarity or of his indulgence to me i looked upon him indeed when with him almost as a brother or companion of my own age and all the cautions i received and my own resolutions to treat him with more respect and formality were put to flight the moment i came within the influence of his arch smile and laugh if i approached him more gravely than usual and with a more sedate step and subdued tone he would perhaps begin by saying eh bien qu'as-tu mademoiselle betsy has le petit lacaz proved inconstant if he have bring him to me or some other playful speech which either pleased or teased me and made me at once forget all my previous determinations to behave prettily my brothers were at this time quite children and napoleon used to allow them to sit on his knee and amuse themselves by playing with his orders etc more than once he had desired me to cut them off to please them one day alexander took up a pack of cards on which was the usual figure of the great mogul the child held it up to napoleon saying see si, bony this is you he did not understand what my brother meant by calling him bony i explained that it was an abbreviation the short for bonaparte but lacaz interpreted the word literally and said it meant a bony person napoleon laughed and said je ne suis pas osseux which he certainly never could have been even in his thinnest days his hand was the fattest and prettiest in the world his knuckles dimpled like those of a baby his fingers taper and beautifully formed and his nails perfect i have often admired its symmetry and once told him it did not look large and strong enough to wield a sword this led to the subject of swords and one of the emperor's suite who was present drew his sabre from the scabbard and pointing to some stains on the blade said that it was the blood of englishmen the emperor desired him to sheath it telling him it was bad taste to boast particularly before ladies 
napoleon then produced from a richly embossed case the most magnificent sword i ever beheld the sheath was composed of an entire piece of most splendidly marked tortoise-shell thickly studded with golden bees the handle not unlike a fleur-de-lis in shape was of exquisitely wrought gold it was indeed the most costly and elegant weapon i had ever seen i requested napoleon to allow me to examine it more closely and then a circumstance which had occurred in the morning in which i had been much piqued at the emperor's conduct flashed across me the temptation was irresistible and i determined to punish him for what he had done i drew the blade out quickly from the scabbard and began to flourish it over his head making passes at him the emperor retreating until at last i fairly pinned him up in the corner i kept telling him all the time that he had better say his prayers for i was going to kill him my exulting cries at last brought my sister to napoleon's assistance she scolded me violently and said she would inform my father if i did not instantly desist but i only laughed at her and maintained my post keeping the emperor at bay until my arm dropped from sheer exhaustion i can fancy i see the figure of the grand chamberlain now with his spare form and parchment visage glowing with fear for the emperor's safety and indignation at the insult i was offering him he looked as if he could have annihilated me on the spot but he had felt the weight of my hand before on his ears and prudence dictated to him to let me alone when i resigned my sword napoleon took hold of my ear which had been bored only the day before and pinched it giving me great pain i called out and he then took hold of my nose which he pulled heartily but quite in fun his good humour never left him during the whole scene the following was the circumstance which had excited my ire in the morning my father was very strict in enforcing our doing a french translation every day and napoleon would often condescend to look over them and correct their faults one morning i felt more than usually averse to performing this task and when napoleon arrived at the cottage and asked whether the translation was ready for him i had not even begun it when he saw this he took up the paper and walked down the lawn with it to my father who was preparing to mount his horse to ride to the valley exclaiming as he approached balcombe voilà le thème de mademoiselle betsy qu'elle a bien travaillé holding up at the same time the blank sheet of paper my father comprehended him perfectly but saw by the sheet of paper and my name being mentioned by the laughing emperor that he wished me to be scolded and entering into the plot he pretended to be very angry and threatened if i did not finish my translation before he returned to dinner i should be severely punished he then rode off and napoleon left me laughing at my sullen and mortified air and it was the recollection of this which made me try and frighten him with the sword the emperor in the course of the evening desired a quantity of bijouterie to be brought down to amuse us and amongst other things the miniatures of the young king of rome he seemed gratified and delighted when we expressed our admiration of them he possessed a great many portraits of young napoleon one of them represented him sleeping in his cradle which was in the form of a helmet of mars the banner of france waved over his head and his tiny right hand supported a small globe i asked the meaning of these emblems and napoleon said he was to be a great warrior and the globe in his hand signified that he was to rule the world another miniature on a snuff-box represented the little fellow on his knees before a crucifix his hands clasped and his eyes raised to heaven underneath were these words je prie le bon dieu pour mon père ma mère et ma patrie it was an exquisite thing 
another portrayed him with two lambs on one of which he was riding while the other he was decking out with ribbons the emperor told us these lambs were presented to his son by the inhabitants of paris an unwarlike emblem and perhaps intended as a delicate hint to the emperor to make him a more peaceable citizen than his papa the paschal lamb however is i believe the badge on the colours of a distinguished english regiment and perhaps may be intended to remind the soldier that gentleness and mercy are not inconsistent with the fiercer and more lion-like attributes of his profession we next saw another drawing in which the empress maria luisa and her son were represented surrounded by a sort of halo of roses and clouds which i did not admire quite so much as some of the others napoleon then said he was going to show us the portrait of the most beautiful woman in the world and produced an exquisite miniature of his sister pauline certainly i never saw anything so perfectly lovely i could not keep my eyes from it and told him how enchanted i was with it he seemed pleased with my praises and said it was a proof of taste for she was perhaps one of the most lovely women that ever existed the emperor usually played cards every evening and when we were tired of looking at the miniatures etc he said now we will go to the cottage and play whist we all walked down together our little whist table was soon formed but the cards did not run smoothly and napoleon desired lacasse to seat himself at a side table and deal them until they dealt easily while the grand chamberlain was thus employed napoleon asked me what my robe de belle was to be i must mention that on my father's refusal to allow me to go to the ball which was to be given by sir george cockburn i had implored the emperor's intercession for me he most kindly asked my father to let me go and his request of course was instantly acceded to i now ran upstairs to bring my dress down to him it was the first ball dress i had ever possessed and i was not a little proud of it he said it was very pretty and the cards being now ready i placed it on the sofa and sat down to play napoleon and my sister were partners and lacasse fell to my lot we had always hitherto played for sugar-plums but to-night napoleon said mademoiselle betsy i will bet you a napoleon on the game i had had a pagoda presented to me which made up the sum of all my worldly riches and i said i would bet him that against his napoleon the emperor agreed to this and we commenced playing he seemed determined to terminate this day of espieglerie as he had begun it peeping under his cards as they were dealt to him he endeavoured whenever he got an important one to draw off my attention and then slyly held it up for my sister to see i soon discovered this and calling him to order told him he was cheating and that if he continued to do so i would not play at last he revoked intentionally and at the end of the game tried to mix the cards together to prevent his being discovered but i started up and seizing hold of his hands i pointed out to him and the others what he had done he laughed until the tears ran out of his eyes and declared he had played fair but that i had cheated and should pay him the pagoda and when i persisted that he had revoked he said i was méchant and a cheat and catching up my ball-dress from off the sofa he ran out of the room with it and up to the pavilion leaving me in terror lest he should crush and spoil all my pretty roses i instantly set off in chase of him but he was too quick and darting through the marquee he reached the inner room and locked himself in i then commenced a series of the most pathetic remonstrances and entreaties both in english and french to persuade him to restore me my frock but in vain he was inexorable and i had the mortification of hearing him laugh at what i thought the most touching of my appeals i was obliged to return without it 
he afterwards sent down word he intended to keep it and that i might make up my mind not to go to the ball i lay awake half the night and at last cried myself to sleep hoping he would relent in the morning but the next day wore away and i saw no signs of my pretty frock i sent several entreaties in the course of the day but the answer was that the emperor slept and could not be disturbed he had given these orders to tease me at last the hour arrived for our departure for the valley the horses were brought round and i saw the little black boys ready to start with our tin cases without alas my beautiful dress being in them i was in despair and hesitated whether i should not go in my plain frock rather than not go at all when to my great joy i saw the emperor running down the lawn to the gate with my dress here miss betsy i have brought your dress i hope you are a good girl now and that you will like the ball and mind that you dance with gourgaud general gourgaud was not very handsome and i had some childish feud with him i was all delight at getting back my dress and still more pleased to find my roses were not spoiled he said he had ordered them to be arranged and pulled out in case any might have been crushed the night before napoleon walked by the side of our horses till he came to the end of the bridle road which led to the briars he then stopped and remarked on the beauty of a house which was situated in the valley beneath us asking to whom it belonged and expressing his intention of going down to see it lacaz accompanied the emperor down the side of the mountain and we went on to the ball he mentioned the next day how charmed he had been with the plan and that he had ridden home on a beautiful little arab pony belonging to the owner major hodson End of chapters 4 and 5